0: This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. A few years ago, when we were creating the One Thing Planner, I challenged one of our writers and researchers, Madeline, to go research the history of time. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I was like, no, seriously, I want to know why we view time the way we view time. Because today, we fast forward, people have a problem with time. The problem is they're spending it. They're not investing it. They spend it like something that is just goes out the window. In fact, people will even say, I've got time to kill. But they don't wake up and view it like it's their most valuable resource. And they certainly don't hold it accountable to delivering a return personally or professionally until they start living the one thing. Then it all changes. Today, we're going to have a conversation about time and why we view time the way that we view it you're gonna meet a person who early on, even in college, just started to ask questions. Why work five days a week? Why not four? What would have to happen for me to go to school or work four days a week instead of five? What might some of those secret benefits be that most people never know? Our hope as you go through this episode is not that you change the number of days that you work a week. Our hope is that you challenge the way you are currently investing and spending your time. That you start to ask questions about why you are doing what you're doing and if there might be a better approach for you. But by the end of the episode, you will know this was an investment of your time if you can identify one thing. One thing that you can do such that by doing it would make investing more of your time easier or unnecessary. If you would like to learn more about the book that inspired this episode called Thursday is the New Friday, you can check it out anywhere books are sold. It actually officially publishes tomorrow. So if you want to support the author, the best way you can do it is to buy a copy of Thursday is the New Friday. With that, let's get into this conversation with Joe Sanok.
1: I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community, and our customers, and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still want to eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor. And Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com. Slash 150 to get
0: 50% off. Joe, where did this idea of the four day work week come from?
2: You know, I remember I was sitting in my college orientation. uh, You know, I was an 18 year old and I'm sitting in the Lee Honors College, and this advisor says, Okay, you can make your schedule. And I I said, What do you mean? Like to me, you know, in high school, they just give you your schedule. I didn't even realize that a college advisor would tell you you can make up your schedule. And and I said, So if I don't want to have class on Friday, can I not have class on Friday? And they're like, Yeah, you can make whatever schedule you want. And so all through college, I never had classes on Friday. And, And for me, having that extra day to do homework and to kind of get into the weekend was just so valuable. And I pulled that into my early career where my very first job out of grad school, I negotiated a four day week. And I thought that was normal. I thought that was just that no one would want to work Fridays. But then, kind of over time, I started to realize that this was something that my consulting clients, that um, the businesses I was working with hadn't really thought of. And so, when I thought about a book and optimizing our work, optimizing how we live life, um, taking off Fridays as Really, an example of us owning our time. It, it may uh-huh. look different for everyone. It may look different for their businesses. Uh, to me, it was kind of core as an example of what kind of world we could create for ourselves within our businesses.
0: I want to go back to college. What made you decide to not book classes on Fridays?
2: I mean, probably at that time it was laziness. Honestly, <laughs> it was that you know if I can get away with having a different schedule, um, wh- why wouldn't I do that? But then, once I did it, you know, probably the first semester was out of just you know being a lazy eighteen-year-old. To see that I could get done in four days what most people would drag out over five or more, I actually think that it was kind of that early germination of of the idea of you know what now I do is you know slow down and sprint, slow down and sprint. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I found myself being more efficient, able to get more done because I was packing in what I needed to do during a very short period of time. And then getting all the life things out of the way on the weekend or even just on a Friday so I could actually relax and enjoy life on a Saturday, Sunday.
0: And I'm curious because you fast forward, you graduate, it's time for you to get your first job. And they follow a a five-day-a-week schedule. I'm imagining being in your shoes going, Okay, I've been doing four days, love it. But they do five days, I'll say yes to doing five. What was the value that you experienced that gave you the confidence to challenge the
2: norm? You know when I when I look at that moment, the moment when you realize that you can negotiate, that you have value you're bringing into a role just as much as them giving you a job. And so, not only did I negotiate a four day week, I I figured I'll just throw out all the things I want, and then if I get one of them, great. Because so this job, I had to go from where I lived and drive an hour away, do counseling, and then drive back. And so I said to him before I accepted the position, I want a car. I want gas paid for, and I want to be paid for the time that I'm in that car. And I figured if I get one of these things in addition to that four day week, like, that's going to be amazing. And they accepted all of them, uh, and and then I was able to kind of say to them, "This actually saves you money. Instead of me driving down and back five days a week, you know, I'm packing in more sessions in four days a week. Your accounting is better. So then I could actually show the economic value of it as well." Um, but I do think that you're know, just being able to have, have thought differently in a variety of different ways um, to not just accept the, the typical schedule was very much in my nature as how I approached life um, of not just kind of rolling with what someone handed me, but to say, is this really the best way that we can do it? Or is there maybe a different way that that we could try?
0: I'm curious, did they have any challenges to the idea of you just working four days a week instead of five like everybody else when they were hiring you?
2: I think about a year in, <laughs> there was enough people that wanted to do the same that they realized that uh, that maybe they shouldn't have negotiated all that. Uh, there was still <laughs> a lot of cost savings, but uh, there's also a lot of other workers that were saying, why can't I do that? And then they, they actually, with a number of the therapy staff, um, did start to allow it, um, which was beneficial because then you had people that were working later into the evening, which is when... People want therapy anyway. They don't want therapy in the middle of the day. They want to come after work. They don't want to to take time off work. And so it it challenged, I think, the overall system of that nonprofit um, to say... I guess we could try this in other areas. And that idea of a business experimenting instead of saying we have to lock in. Now, my contract was locked in. Um, whereas then with new people, they said, let's try that for a quarter. We'll look at some KPIs and then decide after that if this is something something that we can continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's what you see successful businesses do all the time is they, they try something as an experiment first. And then they're able to say this actually has long-term value.
0: Yeah. Well, look at the last year, the number of companies that we engage with that said, you have to be in the office every workday that now we're talking to and a lot of them are going fully virtual or they're doing a hybrid where they're virtually based physically enhanced, meaning vast majority of the time people are remote and they'll have times they strategically bring people together. But they were absolutely closed off to that idea and you know, COVID forced, forced their hand.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's made all of us personally reevaluate how we work, where we work, when we work, um, and to also see that we can get those key things done for whatever position we're in, oftentimes in in less time than maybe we had thought. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that you're familiar with Parkinson's Law, the idea that work expands to the time given. Uh, you know, when you're not doing those commutes with your kids, when you're not getting them prepped to leave the house, and, and just all that time savings there. Um, in addition to then realizing. My kids are doing virtual school while I'm working and I'm juggling all these things. Having that flexibility and then the business still actually runs, um, makes this question the modality that we started with and the assumptions that we started with. So you fast
0: forward and you want to take your experience and that led to your book, Thursday is the New Friday. You started to go back and look at time and why time is the way that time is. And there were certain things that made a lot of sense. Why do we have 365 days in a year? Well, that's how many days it takes the Earth to go around the sun. Why are there 24 hours in a day? Well, that's how long it takes the Earth to rotate. Why do we have months? Well, that's how long it takes for the lunar cycle. But then you got to weeks.
2: What'd you find? It makes no sense whatsoever. There's nothing in nature that follows a seven-day week. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Other than that a few thousand years ago... The Babylonians started a seven-day week, and it was only because they could see the sun, the moon, Earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. Uh, and so, for them, that's why they named it the seven-day week. Uh, and so, we see even with the Egyptians who had an eight-day week, the Romans had a ten-day week. Even hundred years ago, the Roman—or I'm sorry—the Russians tried out a five-day week. And so, to me, I, I'm thinking. Okay, if if we made this up, even if it was thousands of years ago, we don't have to follow that rule moving forward. We can create something different if it works better for us now.
0: So the theme that I'm hearing here with you really has been asking questions. Oh, wait, I get to create my own schedule? What do I want my schedule to look like? I want my schedule to look like I don't have school Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, you're offering me a job? Why do I have to drive in five days a week? Why not I just do four? And why don't you pay for the car and the gas? It's just been this constant challenge of why. Why do you think people don't challenge the status quo?
2: Yes. So there, there's a section in Thursday is the New Friday where I talk about the internal inclinations that we all have. There's three that research supports um, that we see in kind of top performers. So the first is curiosity. The second is an outsider perspective. And the third is the ability to move on it. So in the outsider perspective uh, chapter, it's interesting when you look at the research of, of the influence outsiders have compared to those within a group. So I think there's an evolutionary side of why we don't challenge things. Being loved and cared for by a group, being accepted in a group, biologically helped you survive. And so we Mm -hmm. know that those people survived. And so a lot of us in our genes that we inherited, um, we want to be accepted by those around us. There's detrimental things that happen in our brain and our chemical releases if we're rejected from our group of friends, our partner, all sorts of things. But we know that statistically, outsiders actually have more influence than they should have. So there's this study, which I just found so interesting, where they brought people together and it was small groups of six to eight. They would show a color that was either green or blue. It wasn't just very clearly blue or very clearly green. It was somewhere in the middle. And they would ask the group, what color is this? And it would you know, be blue, green, blue, green. Then they brought in where a third of the participants were actually uh, people that were working with the research team. And when it was blue, sometimes they would say green. When it was green, they would say blue. And they found that the statistical influence on the group was more than it should have been by having these outsiders push a different color. And, and so we see research study after research study show that. And I think we still have those primitive brains. We still have that primitive chemical release when we feel rejection, when we feel like we might be rejected. Uh, and that stops us from actually having extra influence that we have the potential to have when we have that outsider perspective.
0: So if somebody's listening to this, I mean I think we we can all acknowledge that if you are working a quote traditional 5 day work week working 40 hours a week we're not always really working 40 hours a week we're not actually being productive for those 40 hours what path would you do would you advise that somebody go on to begin to establish what's right for them
2: yeah you know i think about Kalamazoo Valley Community College it's a small community college in southwest michigan The head of their HVAC system started to notice some things. And you you think about community colleges, pretty kind of typical format, usually doesn't change real quick. So this HVAC guy, he starts to look at what Fridays look like uh, at the community college in the summertime. And he took pictures of the parking lot, how empty they were. And he looked at also how much they were spending on air conditioning on Fridays. And... So he did this for, I think, six or 12 months, uh, where he looked at you know every single Friday and then looked at it compared to in the fall. And he presented it to the board and showed them, look, there just aren't students here as much on Fridays. And so when you're in a typical work experience, oftentimes you think this is unchangeable. This time is set in stone. I'm told I need to work this. But he presented that to the board and Kalamazoo Valley Community College actually switched about five years ago, to a four-day work week in the summer. Now, they have longer hours during the week, which means that students can come in more. So there's more productivity. Um, their healthcare costs have gone down. Uh, as well, they've saved millions just in regards to air conditioning costs. And so the influence of one person that has an idea within a very traditional company... Now, I hear that story and I think about like all the other corporations that feel unchangeable. I mean, look at what's happened during COVID. We're very changeable if we have the motivation. We've all said to ourselves, is this really the best way to do it? Is, is butts in the chair for a certain number of hours? Is that our best KPI that we can have for our business? Or maybe we need to reinvent what that looks like in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I want to talk about time blocking. Because I think before somebody asks the question, should I be working five days a week. I think we we need to look at the time that they are spending right now and what time they're actually investing. How? What have you done to bring more structure so that the time that you are saying yes to working, it's as productive as possible?
2: Yeah. So it's interesting when we look at People in how they're going to sprint. Um, if we look at kind of an X Y axis, there's there's four different types of sprinters, um, and there, there's two kind of axes, axes there. Um, so the first one is a time block sprinter, and so a time block sprinter is somebody who is going to have one task that they work on for a period of time. Whereas um, if we look at the task switch sprinter. That's someone that is going to spend that same amount of time working on a big picture thing, but they naturally need to have variety. Now, it's not meaning that you're multitasking. We know that there's the myth of multitasking and all that. It's saying, for example, for me getting this book launched, um, I could just do a bunch of podcasts if I was going to be a time block sprinter. And maybe I would do back to back you know, four podcasts in a row. Or I might say, okay, I'm going to do a podcast with Jeff and then I'm going to work on something else for the book. So it's still keeping that one thing in mind. But do I prefer variety or do I prefer to really batch it together? Mm-hmm. Then on the other side, uh, we see automated sprinters. and That's on one side. So an automated sprinter is someone that's going to have it repeated in their calendar every single week. So that's what I tend to be. I, I like to have it Every, you know, it's in my calendar. It repeats. I know exactly what to expect. My brain can emotionally prepare for what I'm about to do versus there's uh, people that take more of a intensive approach. So a retreat approach where they might go away for a couple of days. So I think of Dr. Jeremy Sharp, who has the testing psychology podcast, uh, and he'll go away for two or three days. Uh, he'll get an Airbnb that is walkable and he can you know, go someplace for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that's vegan, um, It has an outdoor space. So he has all these kind of things that he has to have for his Airbnb. But then he goes away and he gets a lot done in those three days. And so I don't tend to be that intensive approach. I tend to just like to have it repeat. And so if you can figure out, are you more task switch or are you more of a time blocker? And then are you more of having an intensive or do you need to have it just be repeated in your calendar? Once you're able to really figure out what type of sprint type you have, then it sort of unlocks your best potential compared to just saying, oh, I should do it like everybody else, but I don't feel like I'm doing it in a way that's authentic to me.
0: I'm even thinking about myself. Which am I? And when I think about between task switching or time blocking... I do best when it's time blocking, when there's multiple hours where I get to go into and I just get to get in the zone and I get to do it and do it and do it. My calendar does not always reflect that. Yet when I pay attention to my energy and my productivity, I'm best there. Now on the intensive versus the automated, I'm actually more the automated. Like I know, Monday, Mondays is one ones, Holding 411s with the team. I know Friday morning is planning and thinking time. And I've got, you know, 3-4 hours blocked on Friday mornings where things don't get in there, but that's my time to plan, that's my time to journal, to think about the next week. And by knocking that domino down, I usually end up getting a jump start on the upcoming week, but it's that repetitive thing so that I know what to expect. But I've never heard anybody break it down that way. So for you who's listening, are you the type of person who You like the time block. You want to batch it and just get the stuff done consistently or do you like the variety? You want the task switch. And then are you the intensive person where you want to go away for multiple days and just slam it all together or would you just rather have certain days of the week, certain times it's automated and it repeats? That's interesting. I'm curious because this is the challenge that I experience. I've sat down with a blank sheet of paper. I've drawn out a week. And I've, I've got clarity on what my 20% priorities are. A handful of things that our goals require that my role do exceptionally well. Otherwise, I don't earn the right to continue occupying the spot I occupy. Super clear on those things. It's casting a vision, driving growth, being an ambassador for the brand and people. And I have that laid out on a calendar in terms of what that ideal week should look like. Then that plan collides with reality where just because I said that's what I want to do, doesn't mean that I don't stop getting invited to everything else. How do you go about
2: protecting your time blocks when the world doesn't always get in, get in line? First, I have soft boundaries and hard boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a concept that, that we really have to understand in our personal life, but also in our business life. So there are going to be things that happen. Um, for example, one of my assistants, both her kids ended up in the hospital this week. Like, we're going to, as a team, throw everything out the window so that she can be with her kids. Like, I don't care what boundaries I have. The ethics of my company are that we support families, we support people. Uh, If they're in a rough time, like, we're just going to get through it. Now, on the other side, we're going to reverse engineer once we get through this what happened here, where that individual maybe didn't have enough trainings for other people or cross training to take things off her plate easily. So it was harder on us in the midst of a crisis. So we need to do that on the other side of it. Now, for me personally, uh, to set hard boundaries with my family of you know, when I'm working, even though I'm in my house, um, I'm working. It's as if I'm in the office. So I hug my kids and I say, Daddy's going to work. I love you. Um, I'll say hi to you when I come get my lunch, uh, but my door's shut. like You're not knocking coming in. Same sort of thing at the end of the day. Daddy's home. Run, give a hug. It's more because selfishly, I want a hug from my kids and have them you know come say, <laughs> Welcome home, Daddy, from being upstairs. Uh but but even in regards to having assistants that that are a door to me, and so you know, consulting clients aren't just constantly texting me that they know the method of how they get a hold of Joe uh, that. I know that my assistant is going to text me if there's an immediate email that comes through that needs my attention. You know, If my attorney or my accountant sends something really important, I want to know that so that the five minutes I have between things, I can jump in on that one most important email. And so that soft boundaries and hard boundaries also carries over into how I do life. So for example, um, I never take on a consulting client that can only see me on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I never work Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So if that's the only days you're available, sorry, we're not a good fit. I'll try to find one of my other consultants that will work with you. Soft boundaries, I might check some email on a Friday morning. I might check some email on a Monday morning, but Tuesday and Wednesday are my big work days. And so defining that for yourself so that you can turn your brain off as an entrepreneur is really where we start to optimize the brain differently than how we're typically told in the quote hustle culture Mm. that's so popular right now.
0: When I think about what you just said, you're really clear on what you're going to say yes to, which makes saying no a lot easier. In theory, it makes a lot of sense. In reality, for most people, they would struggle to honor that. Oh, the client wants Fridays. I know I said I wasn't going to work Fridays, but the client wants it. What do you think stops people from honoring their yeses?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it is that we don't have enough in our personal time that excites us. So, even just blocking out things that you know help you be a better person. So, for example, every Wednesday night, I'm in an improv troupe. We practice every Wednesday night. And so, I go do improv every Wednesday night. I have childcare set up for my two daughters. That's a non negotiable. And it is as much in my calendar as doing a podcast with you Um, because. When I do improv, I laugh, I forget about any problems in the world. I'm a better person when I show up Thursday morning. So I think one thing is that a lot of us have overvalued work and undervalued our personal lives. And so when we do that, what happens is, what are we going to keep investing in and making exceptions for? Work. And what are we going to undervalue more and more? All those things that we know are good for us, but we're not doing, whether that's exercise mm-hmm. or healthy eating or you know, having solid sleep. But for a lot of people, they hear this and they say, I can't do all of that. And I would actually encourage people to figure out just a couple small things that you can do. So a few months ago, I wanted to get healthier and I didn't want to have to set up the TRX or you know, join a gym or worry about any of that. And I just said, I'm gonna start doing a one minute plank every single morning. So I started a one minute plank. You know, I don't need anything to do a plank. And then it became a two-minute plank. And then I started to see some results. And then I started doing a three-minute plank. That's a small step in the right direction that just like what you talk about in The One Thing, that has that domino effect. And and so we need that more in our personal lives because that's going to allow us to set intensely clear boundaries around our business lives.
0: What you just said there that really hit me hard is people aren't excited enough about what's in their personal life. Like When you got something that you look forward to, it's easy or easier to defend it because it's important to you. You know what it is. It's clear. Yet, if you're not clear on it, then it's easy to default to what you do the majority of your week, which is work. And for most people within work, at least prior to living, the one thing, it's checking email. <laughs> Responding to whatever messaging channel platform you use, Slack, Teams, texts, just being really busy, but not always getting the most important things done.
2: Absolutely. And, and I think there's even opportunities within our workday. Uh, the University of Illinois did a research study looking at vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well we pay attention to something, decrement meaning breaking down over time. And it was really interesting because they brought in college students to do a really boring task for an hour. So they gave them a random four-digit number. Um, And every time that four-digit number came up on a screen, uh, they'd hit a button. So all these other random four-digit numbers, theirs pops up, they hit the button. So they saw vigilance decrement over that hour or so period of time where the amount they paid attention at the end was less than the amount that they paid attention at the beginning. So the second group, what they did is at the one-third mark, they gave them a one-minute break. They said, you know, we put you on the wrong computer, go sit in the lobby, walk around, we'll be back with you in a minute. And then at the two-thirds mark, they did the same thing. They saw zero vigilance decrement just by giving that one-minute break. So then we think about the brain. We think about the evolutionary nature of it. When we're in a new situation, you walk into someone new's house, you go to visit a zoo, whatever it is, your brain is on hyper-awareness to make sure it's not dangerous. So what you're doing is you're tricking the brain by giving yourself that one-minute break to step out of the situation, step out of your flow state, and then re-engage with it. Um, so your vigilance decrement actually is, is not going to happen because you're able to pay attention to things better. So even little things like a quick one-minute break, a you know, quick eating food outside while you, know, you have five minutes between things, those little micro habits can actually make you even more productive when you are choosing to work.
0: Mm. I love that. I love that. Joe is 5 to 10,000 feet. Why does this matter?
2: You know, in two thousand and twelve, my daughter before her first birthday, we had to have she had to have open heart surgery. And you know it was eleven months of you know giving her these breast milk milkshakes where we're trying to get her weight up, we're feeding her all this formula. She finally has her her heart surgery. And about six weeks after, I end up getting diagnosed with thyroid cancer. We've all had years that are like my 2012. So I went through all this radioactive iodine, all these other things. Luckily, it was highly treatable. A lot of people that's not the case for. But at that time, I was working a 40-hour work week at a community college. Uh, I had a side gig with my private practice, and I had this new podcast that I had started to help clinicians And from that, I realized that I didn't hate the job. I didn't hate the 40-hour work week because it was a great job and I had a great boss. But I realized that I didn't have the freedom that I wanted. And so fast forward to 2020, I decided to take my kids on an epic road trip instead of doing Zoom calls for a whole school year. So we left in a 37-foot pull-behind camper. I had never driven any trailer before that. No boats, no jet skis, literally had to watch YouTube videos on how to back this thing up. Yeah, parking's an issue. (laughs) I mean, seriously. And it's like, how many times as an adult, do you have a new skill you're acquiring that literally if you do it wrong, people will die? I mean, the sense of worry and hypervigilance and all of that, that I got to experience as a new camper driver and backupper and all that... Um, but we had some of the most amazing experiences in national parks and in you know just these aha moments for my kids and their sense of geography. And, and to me, when I think about what 2012 was, now everyone can't hit the road, everyone can't be location independent. But what they can do is they can say, what is that next step for me living a life that has deeper meaning? That, you know, I mean, I remember Jay's TED talk here in Traverse City when he was talking about, you know, how many spring breaks do you have left with your kids? And that next spring break, we went to Disneyland and had the most epic spring break we've had in so long. And, And that idea of like, it's great to do good work for the world. It is great to have a business that you love. And there are things in life that are just life. They don't have to be productive. That When we slow down and optimize our brains, uh, for one, it's fun. But then also, there's a depth that we have as a person that helps us in the business world.
0: I love that. It's asking the question, why are you doing what you're doing? And it's not... I think this is one of the reasons that the one thing has really resonated with people. They thought they were reading a business book. And what they got was a life book. It's not about how to increase professional productivity it's about how to invest your time and expect a return personally and professionally so I love I love that you've gone on this journey of asking questions why do we do what we do and is that the right fit for me? you know for for you who's listening to this, our expectation is not that you walk away from this episode and immediately Stop working five days a week. Our hope is that you start to ask questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? That could be a purpose question as well as literally what you're doing. And how do you make sure that when you wake up every day, you view your time like the most valuable resource that it is and start investing it? Hold it accountable to delivering a return and make it deliver the return personally and professionally. Joe, where can people learn more about Thursday is the New Friday?
2: Yeah, they can buy it wherever they buy their favorite books. Uh, just search Thursdayisthenewfriday.com. Uh, we have a bunch of videos and extra resources over at joesanock.com forward slash book. Uh, we're going to have all the resources there. If you forget, you can just do Thursdayisthenewfriday.com. That'll redirect to that page also.
0: Yep. And that's Joe, J-O-E, Sanock, S-A-N-O-K.com. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Joe Sanok. We hope that this episode has brought value to you. I'll say this again. Our expectation is not that you go away from this episode and suddenly challenge your leadership to have you start working four days a week instead of five. That's not the purpose here. The purpose is that we start to challenge the things that we haven't challenged. To ask questions and search for answers. Why am I doing what I'm doing? From a purpose standpoint, Why am I doing the job that I currently do? Why am I doing the thing that I am doing right now that's on my calendar? When we have a greater sense of purpose, why we're doing what we're doing, when we can tie the job that we have today to that purpose, and we can tie the activities that we are knocking down right now with our goals, with a greater purpose, that's when we start to feel the fulfillment that unfortunately a lot of people out there are missing, but not you not as somebody who is on the journey of living the one thing. So I'll ask the question, based on everything you've heard in this episode, what's the one thing you can do such that by doing it would make investing your time easier or unnecessary? Pause the episode, search for that answer and find the one thing. If you can do that, this was an investment and not an expense of your time. If this episode has brought value to you, please think of somebody that you know that needs to hear it and share it with them. If you're new to the show, press the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device of choice. And if you would leave us a rating and review on your podcast player, it would mean the world to us. It it helps us reach more people and live our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.